is a Woodside Church podcast. I'm going to get Luke up on the stage. And um, I love this guy. He's just uh, one of my heroes. He'll hate me for saying that, but he is. And um, I'm just going to pray for him as he brings the word to us. He clearly has brought his packed lunch. So, um, you know, everything's ready. Let me just pray for you, Luke. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, just come and be on this man now. Anoint his words. I pray, God, he would hear afresh from you as he just brings what he's got to share. And I ask, God, we would be so open to receive what you want to say. Be with him and us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Hello, let me get my paper in order. It's all wrinkled in my pocket, so I'm going to straighten that out. I've got my props, as always faithful props. They will, uh, you'll will see what this is all about in a second. Um, today's, we're, we're, this is the first, well, actually the second week of going through Samuel. We're going to be go- going through Samuel for about eight or nine weeks or so. Then we're going to stop and do some other things and then we're probably going to come back to Samuel. So we've got a long old chunk this year of going through Samuel in detail, which is really, I'm really excited about. Um, today's chapter, we're looking at chapter one and I think it's all about disappointment. And we all get disappointed, all of us get disappointed. How we handle disappointment is very different. And in this story we're going to read today, we see three different ways people deal with disappointment. So I'm going to bring Abby up now, who's going to read the Bible to us, because the the names are difficult, and I want her to have the problem, not me. Um, So this is beginning of 1 Samuel. This is what it says. There was a certain man of Rathaim Zophim, of the hill county of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. Thank you. That was excellent from me. Um, <laughs> thanks, everyone. Thank you. Um, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where, there were, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day where Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and she would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorstep of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. 
Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Thank Goodness you, Abby. Me. Good job. Keep that away from me. It will make a horrible squeak. <clears throat> well done, Abby. Thank you so much. And there be the reason I didn't want to read it. <clears throat> um, before, we go in, before we go into the details of the disappointment I was mentioning earlier, I wanted to touch br- really briefly on polygamy. This, in this story, we see polygamy with one, when somebody has multiple partners, married to multiple people. In here, we see a, a guy called El- Elkanah. I call him Elkanah. Has, has two wives, Penina and Hannah. And, and I've heard people argue that the Bible do, uh, uh, almost affirms polygamy. It's all over the Bible, there's loads of it. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says that it's wrong. And there is no Bible verse that says, you shall not be a polygamist. That is true. But I wanted to read a quote that I read from a man called Lionel Windsor, which I think was a really helpful quote. He says, Think of a movie like Schindler's List, a powerful story telling us about one of the darkest moments in Western history. Now imagine at the end of the movie, as you've been hit with the human horror of the Holocaust, just before the credits, a commandment comes on the screen. The director would like to point out, in case you've missed it, that you should not be racist. Not only would this be unnecessary, it would destroy the the power of the story. Something similar happens when it comes to the Bible and polygamy. Sure, the narrators never pause to say, oh, by the way, please don't be a polygamist. But why should they? The stories make the point all by themselves. Stories about polygamy in the Bible time and time again result in disaster. I wouldn't usually touch on something that seems irrelevant to the message I'm preaching today, but with something, there's something going on at the moment in the Western, Western world called polyamory, which is very similar to poly- polygamy, except for you don't get married. Multiple partners. And I've seen documentaries on this. Louis Theroux did one on polygamy, not, polyamory not too long ago. And it's, and it's going on, and people will argue, if it's good for your relationships, then fine. Whatever's good for you, go for it. But the Bible shows time and time again throughout history that it ends badly every time, every single time. People say that um, polygamy saves marriages. It's not fair for one man, one woman to be expected to meet all my needs, so I have multiple. But marriage isn't, you don't get married for somebody to be expected to fill all your needs. The whole point is wrong. There is only one who can fill all our deepest needs, and that's Jesus. Otherwise, what you end up doing is you become like David, and you have 200 of them. The the Bible makes it clear that only one can meet our deepest needs, and that's actually not our partner's. That's not the role of our partner to meet our deepest need. It's to be a companion through trouble. Okay, right. That, that aside, I did want to touch on that because we can't just read a story where someone's got two wives and ignore it. Um, <clears throat> okay, the first prop I have. We're going to look at Penina first. Penina's the lady who was, it talks about her being a rival to Hannah and provoking her and saying horrible things that we'll look at in a second. But what I want us to do, here we have... Panina gets a panini. Okay. Um, um, this, this is a bitter panini. Inside it has got marmalade, which I think is the most disgusting thing that has ever been created. Anyone disagree with that? Anyone, anyone under 30 disagree with that? <laughs> uh, this is, is a, a bitter panini. 
And in this story, we have Penina, and she is very, very bitter. And people will say, oh, I've got marmalade all over my hands. Um, um, people will say that, P- that Penina is a nasty character. And, and she is nasty, a nasty character. But what I want us to do is understand from Penina's side of the story what's happened. Penina is a very, very damaged lady, very hurt. She shares her husband. Her, she has, she's produced babies. Her husband actually loves the other wife more. And it, it doesn't take long for us to think, if you are in a marriage with three people and you, the partner loves the other person more, that's going to hurt. So Penina produces babies. Hannah can't produce babies. Penina produces babies and probably thinks, this will win Elkanah's love. If I can have a baby, I can do what Hannah can't do and he'll love me. And she has a baby, he still loves Hannah more. And she does does it again and again and again, he still loves Hannah more. She's hurt. She's she's a lady in incredible amounts of pain. She's not just a nasty person, which which is how it's so easy to read this story. She's a really, really damaged person who is, as a result, very, very bitter. And, I, and I, I touch on that because I think it's important for us as Christians to be able to read a story and not just paint bad person, good person, but to see hurt people. And Jesus, when Jesus came, he didn't... Actually, he did call some people wicked, and there were people that were judging others, actually, Pharisees. But nearly always he referred to people that were sinners as sick people who needed help. And in this story, we see Panina, and it's a classic case of hurt people hurt people. And as Christians, I think we need to get better at at empathy. We can't just label somebody a bad person without realising why they are what they are. And as Christians, we need to get good at, one, first of all, realising that they're hurt, and two, getting close enough to people to, to get to know them and find out what's hurting them. And that's the job of a Christian. It says, it says in this story that, that it went on, the provoking that Panina did to Hannah went on year after year. The thing about bitterness is it, it, doesn't, it doesn't run out. It, you don't get bitter and just think, oh, I'm over it now. That's not how bitterness works. If bitterness isn't dealt with, it's like a poison that keeps coming and keeps coming. And the danger with bitterness is we can be bitter and we don't even know we're bitter. All of us. Bitterness is, is it has this ability to hide away until somebody prods the exact point where the bitterness is, and then suddenly it's alive. And that's bitterness. There's a quote, there's a quote that, I, that I found really helpful. It says, Harboring bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. The more I feed bitterness in my heart, the more it brings death to me. The sad thing about this story, one, she's living with this bitterness every day. She's looking at Hannah and she's saying these little comments. Oh, it's so, it must be so disappointing not to be able to satisfy your husband like that, provide him children. I wonder if he would, I wonder if he would have married you if he'd known that. What do you think? Little subtle digs, nasty digs. The way we deal with bitterness is very... Not simple, but it is, it's a simple thing to say, not such a simple thing to do. It's forgiveness. That's the antidote for bitterness is forgiveness. 
When I was writing this, this story, as I do when I read these, when I do these preachers, I read them and think, okay, God, is there anything, am I going to stand up there and be an utter hypocrite on every single point? And when I got to this part, I thought, am I bit, have I got bitterness towards anyone? And I thought for a minute and I thought, oh yeah, there is that guy. And I remember there was a guy I trained with on a leadership course quite a few years ago. And I watched a football match with him. I'm an Arsenal fan. He's a Tottenham fan. Yeah, I know, I know. First time I'd ever watched a match with a Tottenham fan, and the last time I'll ever watch a football match with a Tottenham fan, watched us lose to Barcelona in the Champions League. That's how many years ago it was. Um, but we watched it, and I remember him facing the chair, facing me. And rather than watching the match, he was watching me. And every time he let a goal in, he would say something, say something, say something. All these years later, I thought, ah. Oh. And he, he became a bit of a New Frontiers name. He became a bit of a famous Christian. And so I thought nothing of it until I heard his name. Oh, no, that's that guy. <laughs> and I thought, the whole time I thought it was about the football. And I thought, I'm not that superficial. Surely football doesn't... I'm not a diehard fan by any means. It shouldn't affect me like it did. And I thought, is it really the football that bothered me? My mouth's getting dry. And I realised... When I was writing this, literally, it was as, as I wrote this last week, as I wrote this, I thought, what was it that got to me about this person? And I realised, actually what it was, is just before he'd finished leadership, he was going around doing a collection, asking people for money to say thank you to our main lecturer. And he was going around and saying, can you put some you know, money, we get a nice gift, we'll take him out. And at the point, my family were really financially tight, I, hadn't, I didn't have money. And I said to him, sorry, I can't. I was really embarrassed by it. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't contribute anything. And his response was a bit, bit sharp, a bit condescending, a bit, bit, a bit harsh, actually. And then he left. All these years, I thought it was about the football. And I realised it was about the fact I felt, felt hurt by my, my financial struggle. And this is what bitterness does. And I want to challenge us, rather than look at Penina as this nasty lady that provokes, I want you to ask yourself the question today, is there anyone I am bitter with? And then stop and think, and then you've got to stop and you've got to think, what is it that hurt me about that person? Because you can't forgive someone until you know what it is that's caused the pain. So I, as a result this week, I did pray and I've forgiven him, and I'll keep forgiving him every time he comes into my head. But this is bitterness. So the first thing I want us to do is associate ourselves with Panina and show ourselves how ugly our bitterness can become. It can become like this. It can become the point where we're shooting arrows at people. Nobody, nobody is born and wants to be the bad guy. I don't think people do that. Nobody wakes up and thinks they want to be Joker in a film. Everyone wants to be Batman. We all want to be the good character. But bitterness does this thing where it twists us and turns us and turns us really ugly. And this is what's happened to Panina. She's now really ugly. And what's really sad about Panina is the one thing she has over Hannah, in her eyes, is, is her fertility. Hannah's about to have a baby. The only thing she had over Hannah she's lost, she's about to lose. Bitterness takes you to really dark places. And I want us to challenge ourselves this morning. Is there any Panina in me? Am I a bitter Panini in any way? way? That's the first person. <clears throat> Let me just read this verse in Ephesians 4. It says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. 
Ephesians' word of advice for bitterness is be tender-hearted. How do you be tender-hearted? Empathy. Feel the person. Think what is their story. Be soft enough to listen and think and hear and think. They're not just bad. There's something going on. They're not just grumpy. They're not just a liar. They're not just a hypocrite. There's something going on there. So that's the bitter panini. The second person we have is the mechanic or the fixer. What's this? Does anyone know what this is called? Wrench or a pliers or something? A spanner. <laughs> yeah. DIY is not, not, my, um, not my thing. I actually, I actually had Mark come. Mark Ingledrew came this way the other week and fixed my washing machine. I was about to literally get a new one. He just fixed it in about 10 minutes. But this, this in my eyes, is a fixer. So just call it a fixer. This is a fixer. And I think Elkanah is a little bit of a fixer. So we've got the first way people deal with disappointment is by harbouring it and it goes bitter and ugly and twisted. Then we've got Elkanah who is actually a good person. He's actually, a, he's a good guy. It's, it lists him in this, in this family, um, I forgot the Bible verse, any way you can shoot back to the Bible verse? If not, don't worry. It, it lists him in, in a list of people, which they only really do that for respectable people. So it gives, he's in the list. He goes to the temple. It makes a point of saying he goes to the temple every year, which shows he's godly. He's going to a temple, by the way, which you'll see later in later weeks. Is some priests there that are absolute not good people, but he's still going to the temple despite knowing the people that are there are not good people. So he's going every year. He loves Hannah. He later on he, he honors her vow, and he does. So he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a good man. But in this. But in this story, we find that he's a little bit of a fixer. I'm going to quickly read a quote from a commentary I read this week. <clears throat> what are we to make? Oh, by the way, he's obviously disappointed before I say, why, how is Elkin disappointed? He's probably disappointed because his wife can't, his, he feels the sadness of Hannah and, and that hurts him. It hurts him for her. He's disappointed on behalf of her. The commentary says this. What are we to make of Elkin's two wives? Polygyny having more than one wife, was practiced by kings in this period, but seldom by commoners. Elkanah was a commoner, even if a prominent one. So the question arises as to what may have prompted him to take two wives. The text does not tell us directly, but if Hannah was Elkanah's first wife, as may be suggested by the fact that she's named first before Penina in verse 2, then perhaps it was her childlessness that led Elkanah to take a second wife. So maybe he solved his baby problem by getting a second wife. Maybe he tried to fix it. If that's how he tried to fix it, it was an utter botched job because it goes really bad. Um, but we then see he says this absolutely stupid comment. Stupid comment. It says, Hannah... And, oh, in one version it says he, said, he says it, as in he says it regularly. It wasn't like a one statement. It said year after year, this was his thing he'd say. Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not, don't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? That is when a wise man looks very stupid. What a stupid and irrelevant thing to say. But confession, I do that a lot as well. <laughs> I say some stupid things that, that I sound all great until my mouth opens. And now I'm going to say a generalisation of, of men. And I'm, I, I know we don't like generalising. Um, but I think a lot of men like to fix things. 
and we are not very good at listening. We think we are. We have all the advice, but when it comes to actually listening, we're pretty rubbish. I think that in this story, Elkanah hadn't really heard Hannah. The amount of times in my marriage that Rachel has said to me, Luke, I don't want you to fix this, I just want you to listen. At the moment she suggests something, I'm ready, I'm ready, what, what, my, what's going to be my advice? And, I, and over, I've married 14 years now, I'm very, I know, yeah, I think a lot of us are like this. We fix and our wives tell us, just listen to me. Um, but I, th- I think it comes from an insecurity that we think we don't want our partners to hurt and we want to help. That's where it comes from. We're disappointed that they hurt. And we want to be there to help them through it. But actually, there is a time. There is a time, and there's probably much more times than we think, when listening is sitting with somebody, hearing their story, feeling their pain, empathy, empathising, and just saying, that sounds awful. That's it. That's, that's the whole thing. And as, as a husband, I found that very hard to learn that lesson. And I'm, learning, I'm still learning it. Sometimes I say to Rachel, do you want me to give any advice or do you just want me to listen? And she will usually say, just listen. <coughs> As if she's not intelligent to think of her own things anyway. Um, I think we've, I think, this is general, I know. I think men, we need to get better at listening, properly listening. Just, and being happy with that. I had a friend recently this week said, was dread, this is honestly true, he was dreading going home because his wife was going through a hard thing and he said to me, I don't want to face her because I don't know what to say to her. And I said, you don't have to say anything. Just sit with her. That's all right. And in fact, the Bible says a lot about it more than being all right. It says this in Proverbs, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only expressing their opinion. In the story, there's a story in a book called Job. And in Job, there, he has these friends that are plonkers, to say the best. That, that you, you don't want these friends. But right at, the beginning, right at the beginning of the story of Job, it, sa- it says this thing about them. And in my opinion, it's the only good thing they do in the whole of however many, 40, 50 chapters of Job, there are them there. It says this. And they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was very great. That was friendship. They just sat with him. And that's as far as it goes. And I think we need to get good at not being like Elkanah, who has to try and fix the problem, but just sitting in the problem and carrying the problem with, with whoever you're carrying it with, whether it's a friend or a partner, whoever it is, taking the pain with them, and letting it hurt you as well. Letting it hurt us too. A lady called Brené Brown, who I highly respect. She's not a Christian, but she's a fantastic. She has fantastic things to say. She says this. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response start with at least. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Sometimes it's just sitting with, the sitting with somebody is that is the fix. That is what's going to help. So we've got bitter panini, very bitter person, and we can be like that. We've got a fixer, we can be like that. 
And we've got uh, my son's here actually. Harvey, I, I borrowed your safe. <laughs> and, and a safe that's not, not foolproof, but it's big enough for me to carry. A safe. Hannah the safe. I call her a safe because I think she's an incredibly secure woman. And security comes from being safe. And, and I think she's incredibly secure because anybody who can listen to a lady saying the things that Panina said to her and not responding is more than just disciplined. That's not just somebody who's a good character. That's somebody who has an assurance somewhere. Not only that, she has a husband that doesn't understand her, not really. He, he loves her, but he doesn't really understand her. But she, but she doesn't, when he says, am I not better than ten wives? He, she doesn't come back with a sarky comment like, oh, lucky me. She doesn't, again, doesn't say anything. And then, then she goes to a priest who should be the person that you would, you'd feel really safe with, your husband, to be fair. But the priest should be another person you can go to and feel safe with. And he says, you drunk? And she's, by the way, he's an utter hypocrite because his two sons are famous for getting drunk. And he's not, he's not brave enough to confront them, but he'll confront a poor little lady in the front that's crying. But she doesn't tell him, oh, oh, you hypocrite, your sons. She stayed quiet and called him my lord, honoured him. That takes secure, an incredible, and not godliness, but security. I was reading this week about what makes people secure. Because in the past, I've been in I've insecure moments, as a lot of us can be insecure. And I was reading some things that I'd found on the internet about what makes you secure. And here's some of the fantastic things that I've heard. First one, be, be more optimistic. Yeah, that, that's it. Be more optimistic. That, that's fantastic, except for she cannot have babies, and that's what's hurting her. How do you be more optimistic? That's, that is genuinely some of the ones, some things. Are, these are genuine things from psychology websites that tell, tell you how to get more secure. Be more optimistic, number one. Two, trust yourself. You can do this. Well, she can't. She literally can't have a baby. So that, that's useless information. That's useless advice. Number three, look at your body language and stand tall. How do you stand tall when you're sobbing with agony? You can't do it. Again, it's found, it's found wanting. The only one that I liked uh, was you are not in it alone. Now, where you, where, who you're in it with is the, the question that we really want to know. But that was advice to say you're not in it alone, so that should give you some security. Now, Hannah... This is something Hannah does take. She goes to the temple. She goes there regularly. She knows she's not alone. And this is, this is, this is a quote I read, a fantastic quote. Hannah, Hannah could only turn to what, and she quotes Yahweh. She uses the name Yahweh of hosts, which is a very interesting choice of name. His, this very title calls our faith to stretch all its imagination to catch up in such omnipotence, which means all power. She addresses Yahweh of hosts, cosmic rules, cosmic rules, sov- sovereign of every and all power, and assumes that the broken heart of a relatively obscure woman in the hill country of Ephraim matters to him. She assumes correctly. A lot of people get this thing wrong. God in the Old Testament is angry. God in the New Testament is lovely. This is the Old Testament, and she knows the kindness of God. And she knows, that she knows that she can go to God. And this is where she got her security from. We, we, 
follow a God who is incredibly, incredibly kind to us and listens to our, us, one human, seven, eight billion people now, listens to us and comes to us as we pray. And we can have utter security that we are not in it alone. And we have a gospel where when Jesus was squeezed to the most, the, the deepest extent, when he's on the cross and he's pushed to the hardest point, what comes out of him is unbelievable. When God is squeezed, what comes out? When, you're, when he is literally dying an agonizing death, he is on the cross and he looks down and he sees his, he sees his mother, Mary, and he sees his friend, John, while he's dying and says to his mother, this is your son, to, to John, this is your mother. He was worried that they were going to feel alone when he's gone. While he is hanging on the cross, he is thinking of others because his kindness goes to levels we have no idea about. And that is who we're worshipping. That's why we can be secure, because we have a God who's incredibly kind, who doesn't always say yes to our prayer, but who will sit with us and walk with us through the deepest, darkest times that we go through. And we see Hannah praying, praying to a level that people thought she was drunk. She really prayed. When I say she really prayed, she probably pr- prayed like the people that say, you can't, surely you can't say, speak to God like that, that type of prayer. Um, a lot of us aren't very good at that, me too. Not very good at that type of prayer where we're hurt and we say, God, why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen? Those prayers are okay and God's big enough to deal with those prayers. Tim Keller says, about Psalm 13, he talks about a guy called David who also who wrote the Psalms and often wrote Psalms that are like, oh my gosh, can you really say that to God? And he says this in, about Psalm 13. He cries out um, that God has ignored his pain and his sorrow. It is almost a howl. And the fact that it is included in the Bible tells us that God wants to hear our genuine feelings, even if they are anger at him. David never stops praying, however, and that is the key. As long as we howl towards God and remember his salvation grace, we will end in a place of peace. And it says she left without not, no longer sad. And, and we can do that. We can pray those prayers that are awkward. I remember being in the car with somebody and I said to them, just, just pray. Pray you, how you actually feel to God. Go for it. And, and boy, did they. They, pr- pr- they sc- literally screamed. They screamed and I was more concerned that they were going to smash my car windows in. And I was, just, I, I, I was shocked that they were praying like this. And they finished and my car was still intact and I was happy. But I got a glimpse into the type. I said, oh yeah, be yourself. Do you, pray. And, and they did. And that was the most powerful prayer I think I've ever seen. And, 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 but God isn't surprised by that. God isn't shocked when we do that. God, when, when we're angry, we can go to God with our anger. And that's okay. So, three, Penina. She wasn't evil. She was sick. Is our heart turning us ugly? Have we got bitterness in our hearts that need addressing? Or are we more like Elkanah? When, you want, when someone's hurting, do you rush to fix it or do you love them enough to invest your ears? Hannah, where do you find your security? Do you run to God when you're disappointed? Do you know deeply that God cares? God, I want to thank you for this story. 
I want to thank you for the things we can learn from Panina. Lord, on Panina, Lord, help us to be more empathic to people. Help us to understand people and not just be token Christians that are known for being judgmental. We don't want to be that, Jesus. We know you weren't judgmental. Lord, help us to love people like you love people. Lord, Lord, I thank you for this story. I'm going to give you um, the story of Elkanah. Lord Jesus, and I pray, would you help us to be people who are okay with just listening? Lord, us men, help us men to be good, better husbands and better dads and better work colleagues at just listening. And Lord, I pray, Father, I see Hannah and I see a woman who is incredibly secure, a woman who is able to not bite back, not be sarcastic and still again and again go to you. Lord, I want to be more like her, Lord. When I feel like my prayers aren't being answered, I want to be able to still come to you and cry to you. Lord, I pray, would you help us to be like that? Lord, would you do what you want to do with us in Samuel 1, I pray today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Please stay. Please. Thank you. Please stay for teas and coffees. Thank you. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.